Hey guys, Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks so much for downloading this week's radio show in podcast form. Appreciate that. If you want a free Heartland College Sports koozie, all you got to do is rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Send me a screenshot on your phone of your review. Email me, Pete Mundo. That's Pete, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And I will get you that free koozie. I promise you, I appreciate it. And enjoy the show. We'll talk to you soon. Well, we'll keep it rolling on Heartland College Sports Weekly. I'm Pete Mundo, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And let's welcome in a guy who... You read all the time on the site. It uh, does great work, and that is Matthew Postens joining us here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So, uh, Matthew, let's start off big picture here for the Big 12 going into this bowl season. Seven teams are bowl eligible, one less than last year. Still a very solid number. As you look back on the regular season, we're getting ready for the bowl season here. How would you encapsulate this Big 12 football season? Well, I think it's been really interesting because, you know, while obviously Texas kind of rose up uh, from where it's been the past few years and got to the Big 12 championship game, uh, Iowa State has certainly made some significant inroads into being a quality team in the conference. Uh, You know, nothing really changed that much. You still have Oklahoma going to the uh, uh, college football playoff and being the top team in the conference. Uh, I really think that the conference championship game has significantly helped the league. And I don't mean so much in terms of the that significant data point that Bob Bowlesby was talking about a couple of years ago. I, I really think it's just helped give the conference a showcase uh, during that last weekend of the season and everybody getting to see the best football that the conference has to offer. I mean, that Texas-Oklahoma game to end the, the season was uh, really one of the best Big 12 games of the season. And as they go into bowl season – you know, this is that yearly argument of is the Big 12 really a really good Power 5 conference. And uh, last year overall, they did pretty well in the bowl season. Uh, so this is their opportunity to kind of show everybody around the country that the, the Big 12 is still a, a legit Power 5 conference, something that some folks outside of the Big 12 still question from year to year. You know, Matthew, I think it's a great point. Um, we've had this conversation many times, whether it's you or me or whoever it might be, about you know the, the need of this championship game. And there's no doubt about it that the first two years of this thing, the last two years of this thing, uh, it's helped the Big 12 get in. Maybe last year OU would have gotten in as the four seed instead of the three seed if they didn't have one. Uh, but this year especially – I know you said the 13th data point isn't the only reason you like it, but let's be honest. Without it this year, OU may very well be sitting in the Sugar Bowl instead of the college football playoff. Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. And I think the one feather in their cap, just in the way things are set up, is because it's a 10-team conference and because everybody plays everybody, one of the things that everybody was talking about during the, the pre-announcement show that Sunday was, Oklahoma had an opportunity to vanquish the one loss it got during regular season play, which was the loss to Texas. So Oklahoma was really the only team in the country that could legitimately say they beat every single team in their conference because the conferences uh, in the SEC, the ACC at all, are set up a lot differently. I mean, even the Sun Belt is set up differently. They have two five-team divisions now, so not even the teams in those conferences play, play every team in their conference every year. The Big 12 is the only league that does it. 
you know, we kind of laughed four or five years ago with the whole tagline, every game matters, uh, because of what happened between TCU and Baylor that first year of the college football playoff. But I think that tagline has now evolved a little bit to where uh, I think every game is significant in this league. And I think what happened with Oklahoma and that Big 12 championship game kind of shows that. Well, let's uh, touch on these top two teams in the conference. You mentioned Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, you know, it's really interesting, Matthew, because they each get the two SEC championship game participants. Of course, OU getting Alabama in the playoff, Sugar Bowl, Texas getting Georgia. What would you consider a win for the Big 12? Is it just keeping both games close? Do they have to win one of those two? I'm not going to go as far to say they have to win both. I mean, I think they're each two touchdown underdogs. So what would you consider a success for the Big 12 in those two games? I, I would consider a success to be a split. And I say it because, you know, there is this not necessarily an inferiority complex within this conference or within the folks that cover this conference, but just this inferiority complex that exists outside of the Big 12. But the Big 12 is simply not a conference that measures up to the other Power Four or Power Five conferences in the country. And to me, the Big 12, to me, is probably the third best conference overall after the SEC and probably the Big 10. I think they were actually better than the ACC and better than the Pac-12 this year. So, you know, I'm not sure if Oklahoma can beat Alabama, although I think it's going to be a very intriguing game. But depending upon how invested Georgia is in that Sugar Bowl, I think Texas actually has a pretty good shot of winning that game. Remember a few years ago, Oklahoma and Alabama played each other uh, in the Sugar Bowl, it was a non-playoff game, mm-hmm. and Alabama didn't seem terribly invested in that game, and Oklahoma won by double digits, if I recall. So, you know, it's. I think that legitimately the Big 12 can split those two games. I think Texas has the better shot because Georgia is obviously very disappointed in the fact that they not only lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game, but they also didn't make it into the playoff when some people felt they have a legitimate case to be there. Absolutely. Matthew Poston's uh, joining us here. You read him all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly as we roll along. Uh, Matthew, you know, we have three new coaches in the Big 12, and, and Les Miles, Chris Kleiman, and then, of course, uh, Matt Wells down there at Texas Tech. Who do you think was the best hire here? Well, I've been on the record. We did our roundtable, I think, uh, last week, and, and Chris Kleiman, to me, I think is the best hire. There's nothing wrong with Kansas getting Les Miles. That's a home run for them. But I don't think Les Miles is going to be there beyond maybe the next five years. Uh, Matt Wells is a very good coach. I saw him coach uh, Utah State to a near win over Michigan State on the road in the opener this year. Uh, in my work with the College Football America yearbook at RoadTripSports.com. So, you know, Matt Wells knows how to build a program. He's got a – I feel like he's got kind of a Gary Patterson kind of swagger to him in that, you know, Matt Wells and his staff know how to coach up two- and three-star guys and make them four- and five-star guys. But getting a coach like Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, I mean, you, you can't overemphasize his success at North Dakota State. He was the defensive coordinator on those teams that won national championships before Craig Bowl left for Wyoming. He took over, and they didn't miss a beat. They've they've dealt with being in the toughest conference in FCS each year. Four of their six losses are in conference play, and I think they avenged two of those losses in the playoff. And plus, this guy is used to being, you know, quote-unquote, a big fish in a small pond. Not to say that Manhattan is small, but, you know, Fargo, North Dakota is kind of out there. It's the biggest... City, I think, in North Dakota, 
but it's really kind of removed from the rest of the country. And having been to Fargo, I can tell you that they have the same kind of feel in Fargo that they have in Manhattan. So I think culturally he's going to be a really good fit there in Manhattan as well. The guy knows how to coach. He knows how to recruit. He's been recruiting that part of the country for a while now, having been at North Dakota State. And I just feel like you know, it might take a little bit of time for him to get the kind of program he wants there moving along. But I really feel like long-term he could be the one guy of those three that could be there 10 years from now. Matthew, you know, when, when you look at, at that hire uh, in particular and the Big 12 as a whole, you know, it's weird that we haven't heard from Bill Snyder, this guy who was – uh, one of the faces of this conference and, of course, is the face, you can argue, of Manhattan, Kansas over the past generation. It just feels like the whole thing ended awkwardly. He was at the Climbing press conference. Climbing has said all the right things. But, you know, what do you make about how this has gone down with Bill Snyder the last few weeks? It is a little odd. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, Bill's not necessarily that visible during the offseason. I can remember last offseason. You know, aside from spring football, the only time I saw him or heard from him was, um, you know, he was at a, a basketball game in February. He kissed his wife in the Jumbotron. So mm-hmm. uh, he does not strike me as somebody who is, you know, out and about quite a bit in the community just in terms of being out there every day. Uh, you know, when you have a guy like this who's been such a legend in his area of the country for a long time, uh, it's really hard to to get to a point where everybody's happy with whatever decision they made. He made the decision to walk away. How much influence Kansas State had on him doing that, how much influence his family had on him doing that, I'm not sure. And I, I think that for Chris Kleiman, this is kind of the better-case scenario right now. You'd rather have a coach like Bill Snyder leave his thank-you on, note on the desk, as he did for Chris Kleiman the day he left, and just not say a whole lot publicly than for him to be out there chattering about how he departed, how he left, you know, what led him to retire and that kind of thing. I think it just adds to the noise of a new head coach who technically isn't in Manhattan yet. He still has a national championship to try and win at North Dakota State. Uh, it helps cut down on the noise and the things that he's trying to do with that program. Uh, Matt, you know, I want to just touch briefly before we touch on a little bit of basketball on, on recruiting. And I know neither of us are going to pretend to be recruiting group, knowing every recruit all over the country. <laughs> you know, uh, you got Oklahoma, you got Texas in the top 10. And it, then there's that drop off in the Big 12. And I know every conference has its blue blood to the top. But when you look at the Big 12 and you see a team like, you know, TCU's traditionally been in the top 25 the last couple of years. I think Baylor's done a great job under Matt Rule out recruiting based on what's gone on there. I get down to Oklahoma State and, you know, Mike Gundy's coming off on a mediocre season. But, of course, he had three 10-win seasons in a row before that. Oklahoma State fans like to focus on Gundy's inability to land some of the big-name guys that are in Oklahoma and Texas. Are we overstating this? Are we making too much of this? Or do you think there's something there? Yeah, I saw your story about it. And I couldn't decide if we were overstating it or understating it because, you know, when you look at Mike Gundy, when you look at that offense, that's a lot of fun to play in. I mean, it has to be a lot of fun to play in. You put up numbers if you're a quarterback, a wide receiver, a running back. Uh, They've produced NFL-ready players. Uh, They've done... I would say a lot with certainly not as much as Oklahoma gets on a regular basis. And you would think that would lead to higher numbered recruiting classes. But at the same time, I'm not sure the ranking for the recruiting class matters that much 
especially when you look at a school like TCU that consistently was having recruiting classes in the 50s and the 60s when they were in the Mountain West Conference. And, you know, Gary Patterson's turning them into three-star and four-star guys, and they're winning 10-11 games every year. So it, you know, at the end of the day, you recruit the players that are the best fit for your program and you let your coaching take over. Should they be higher ranked based on what they've done over the past four to six years? Probably so. But, you know, they're, they've done what they've done over the past several years for a reason, and it may not be so much because of the types of players they're recruiting. It may be more because of the type of coaching and the type of mentoring that Mike Dunning and his staff are doing uh, there at Oklahoma State. That's kind of where I lean toward right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Matt, you know, let's let's touch on some hoops here for a couple minutes. Uh, you know, you're our in-house uh, Big 12 hoops guru. I know you're kind of, we're all getting adjusted, making that transition, football to basketball. You've been watching a few teams here, getting a closer look at them. Who has been the biggest surprise to you thus far in the Big 12 on the basketball side? Oh, well, think, the fact that oh, they lost. Hang on, let's, uh, you want to start that answer over? I think we cut out there. Okay, yeah, sure. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Yeah, I think to me it's Oklahoma because it wasn't just that they lost Trey Young to the NBA. It was the fact that they lost a couple of guys that I thought were going to be the guys that were going to replace Trey Young in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was expecting them to take a bit of a jump back, but you know, in all honesty, they've, they've made a huge jump forward. When I saw their game against Notre Dame, I saw a much more balanced basketball team. Christian James has obviously made some tremendous strides in his game over the course of the last year. The two graduate transfers that Long Kruger brought in have really fit seamlessly into that offense. And, and that was a night where Jamuni McNeese didn't even play because he was hurt. So this is an OU team that is now capable of being nine or ten players deep. And that's what Long Kruger wanted when I talked to him at media days in October. He wanted a nine or ten deep team, uh, one that could be, you know, could have a lot of different interchangeable parts on the floor. And that's what they're looking like right now. They, they've really surprised me just in the sense that, you know, subtracting a player like Trey Young usually means problems for a program. They've taken that loss, and they've actually created a more balanced team that actually has more ways to beat you and seems to be playing better defense right now. Has there been a team that you've seen out there that is um, uh, underwhelming you from a surprising point of view? Um, underwhelming me from a surprising point of view. It's interesting because, you know, I had high expectations for Iowa State, and they've, they've played to those expectations. I had high expectations for um, a couple of other teams in the conference, and they've played well. I think Texas has kind of met my expectations. I think West Virginia has, too, given what they lost at the guard position. You know, there's nobody that's been really underwhelming just in terms of how they've played this season. I didn't expect Oklahoma State to be that great in non-conference. That's kind of worn out. They're the only team in the league that has an under 500 record. So I wouldn't say there's been anybody out there that's been just really disappointing to me relative to what I thought. I think pretty much everybody else in the conference has either played to the level that I expected them to or they've actually played above it, which I think really bodes well for league play when it starts next week because, as we know, the Big 12 is one of the best conferences in the country. Kansas just lost its first game, so they look a little vulnerable right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could have a really, really interesting Big 12 race where maybe Kansas is the best team in the conference, uh, but you look two to two to eight, two to nine in this conference, and there are a lot of teams that could could beat up in each other night in and night out. 
He's Matthew Poston. You read him all the time on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Uh, Matt, always good to chat with you, man, and uh, have a great uh, Christmas, New Year, and we'll chat with you soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening, for being a part of the show. Really appreciate it. Please do uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Send me a screenshot, Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. I'll get you the free koozie, all right? I'll get it in the mail for you. And 